Uh, guys, so um, every Sunday we trust for breakthrough in some area, and today in the physical we had some breakthrough. Yeah. <laughs> the, there's a hole in the floor in the front here at the moment. <laughs> but uh, yeah, to this morning, um, Kala is going to preach the word, and I just want to pray for him as we head into that. Yeah, thank you, Father, for, for this gift, um, and thank you for this um, blessing that you've given this house, and I pray that you would through him, minister to us, Lord, that uh, what he speaks would be straight from your heart, straight from, from your mouth, essentially, Lord, being spoken through him. Lord, and I pray that um, you would anoint him for this task again and that he would, uh, yeah, just really have just such joy in sharing the goodness of what you have for us. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, I um, just want to make a comment on uh, what Stuart, Stuart said um, this morning. He had the... Uh, the story of Lazarus, uh, for those of you that don't know it, Lazarus died, actually, and um, there was actually a call to go to Lazarus while, uh, while he was still alive. <laughs> Don't steal stuff out of it. <laughs> uh, all right. So, um, and then <clears throat> Jesus deliberately delayed going to Lazarus. So he didn't go immediately. Lazarus died. And then finally, three days after Lazarus died, Jesus arrived there. And then Jesus spoke to Martha, his sister, who obviously loved Lazarus a lot. And she was like weeping, Mary and Martha's, the sisters of Lazarus. And she's weeping. And she's like, Jesus, if only you could have come beforehand. If only you were here before he died, you could have saved him. You could have, you know, healed him and all that type of stuff. And then Jesus says, if you believe, if you believe, Lazarus will live. Oh, 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 and Jesus says, he will live. And, she, and, and Jesus asks her, do you believe it? And she says this. She says, of course I believe that when you would return, we will all be resurrected. Now that was an, that's an interesting thought that she said this. She would say, Lazarus will have life when he's in heaven. Lazarus will walk in something great as soon as he goes to heaven. And, you know, there's this tension in the kingdom of God that there's a lot of the kingdom of God that is to come <laughs> when Jesus returns and we're going to be in heaven and all this type of stuff. But so easily, so easily, we have taken the position of Martha and settled that the power and display of the kingdom will only come at the second coming. It's like, at least when we're in heaven, all will be fine. And Jesus was saying, I know he will be resurrected when I come again. But I want to resurrect him right now. It was out of a frame of reference. Something has died. When Jesus comes again, it will live again. And isn't it easier to believe all will be well? All will be well. <laughs> That's a big, big. Uh, a W and an H can make a massive difference. Well, well, <laughs> but. Isn't it easier? Isn't it easier to just sometimes be happy with the grave and go, 
at least when he returns again, at least when there's heaven, it will be, it will be well again. I think Jesus' subtle challenge to Martha was, don't you want to see the kingdom now? Do you want to see the kingdom now? And again, I think it's, it's, it's for us as well. I think there is something in us that almost settled to not walk in the fullness of what God has because when we go to heaven, everything will be fine. But something of heaven, he wants to display now. And blessed are we. Blessed are we if we live in the kingdom, not only when he returns, but something of it now. Blessed are we. That's a new beatitude that I've just uh, put, put together. <clears throat> it could have. It could have been in there. Right? So I, I just, uh, um, it actually lines up a little bit on, on my message, but I, I want to just pray for that. I, I want to pray for, for Lazarus's in our lives. That something has died, and we've given up on it. And yes, I know all will be well when Jesus comes again. But what if, what if died in you? That's almost easier not to trust them anymore. He speaks for me. I know that. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So let's quickly pray for that, right? I, I want to wanna call out those things that you have declared dead. But maybe God has not declared it dead. So Jesus, right now, just where, I mean, where Rudy was spoken, a hopelessness have settled in into some places in our hearts that we have stopped trusting for. Lord, we have settled and accepted death. We have called dead what you have not called dead. We have called no destiny, and you have called destiny on it. And Father, we want to align ourselves with your voice today that says, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, come out. And Father, we want to speak to those death in our lives that you want to resurrect. Oh. You want to resurrect. Father, every relationship that we've settled on, every person that we've settled on, Father, every even promise that we've settled on, Lord Jesus, I'm going to say, Lazarus, come forth. Resurrection. Resurrection life. Um, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, um, <clears throat> this morning, um, Actually, yesterday I was I was asking Jesus, what 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 should I speak? And I this is what I felt. So I'll, I'll clarify. I felt like Jesus said, there are many here, there are many here that are in a desert. So just again to make sure I clarify completely on this one. When Jesus says this, he is not ignorant to the weather patterns that happened in Stellenbosch lately. Even though most of us live in Stellenbosch and at the wettest winter of all time, he is aware of that, and uh, um, he doesn't call Stellenbosch a desert, literally. <laughs> but of course, he's referring to the state of our hearts and the state that we find ourselves 
that when we would look at our lives and the experience that we have currently, we would say we are, uh, um, or at least the feeling is that we are in a desert. And uh, I, I've, I've uh, um, recently, uh, last Sunday actually, I had the experience, I, I, st- I stood in front of this meeting and I thought like, man, I, I feel like I know so, so few people in our own congregation. And I, I realized that lately we've had like a lot of, a lot of guys just coming through. I, I thought like we always do first-time visitors, but I, I once want to do who's here for the second time, the third time? Who's been here with us for less than six times? Because even though it's not the first time, the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth time, you still kind of get used to what are these guys up to? What are they saying? What are they doing? What do they mean? I mean, a desert is probably not maybe the most difficult, but what, what do they mean? And I, I, I thought like it, it would be good just in our communication, for those of you that's been with us forever, to make sure that our communication is clear and that there won't be an assumption that every term or everything that we use, everybody knows and everybody is understanding and familiar with. So I want to, I want to almost just like, might feel that I over-explain a little bit, all right. So for those of you that's been here for a long time, please don't have the Pharisee mentality. I know that, you know. It's, like, <clears throat> it's just so that we can all be on the same page on simple things like terms. So probably the, 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 the concept of a desert comes out of a journey that God had with the people of Israel. And this journey happened when God called the founder of his people, the first man, the tribe leader, Abram, and says, I'm going to come and bring a great nation out of you. He had a son, Isaac, then he had a son, Jacob, that changed into Israel. Israel had 12 sons, Jacob now, Israel, Jacob, Israel, same guy. He just changed his name after a bit of an encounter with God. And his name became Israel, which is later become a nation. This guy had 12 sons that became the tribe heads, the 12 states, if you may. Please don't kill me. It's just in order to make it clear and simple that all of us understand. Then of the division of Israel that have these 12 different tribes and 12 different states. All right. So these guys found themselves then in Egypt. Before I go there, when Abram was uh, the father, as God promised him a nation, which was very unlikely at the time because the guy was very uh, uh, was low on kids. There was uh, none to be. <laughs> so uh, uh, a nation seemed very unlikely at that stage that he would be the father of, you know. The, the promise is, look, if your father couldn't have children and your grandfather couldn't have children and your great-grandfather couldn't have children, the chances that you will have children is also very slim, right? <clears throat> All right. Thanks for the encouragement, guys. I'm, I'm, I'm making it simple here today. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, God then in this time when he is childless with the promise of a nation, um, God says to him, but Abram, know this. I'm going to give you a great land that your nation will occupy. Like, give me a child, please. But I will give you a great land that you will occupy, but Abram know this, that ultimately not even that is your great reward, is your great promise. I am your exceedingly great reward. And that is always in the heart. Know above all that the promise and the destiny will be me, God. And so they find themselves then coming out and they find themselves then 
in Egypt. Egypt was first seemingly a blessing. They occupied the part of the land. They were flourishing in this land as foreigners in this land, but pretty much the kingship changed and uh, 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 the favor towards them changed, and pretty soon they be, no longer became like grand citizens. They became slaves in this nation. That continued for 300 years. Right? Um, it's enough to, um, to cause anybody to be hopeless. It's enough to cause anybody to be discouraged. Right? It's enough to go like, Lazarus is dead. <laughs> when you're 300 years in that land as slaves. And then, and then God comes and he raised up Moses. And he led Moses through. Out, he, led, he led Moses to lead God's people out of Egypt. And then he leads them and he causes them to go for a period of time that is through the desert. And then God in this period taught the people of Israel how actually through the desert to occupy the promised land. The ultimate destiny that God has for them. God's destiny, and let me say it to you guys clearly, God's destiny was never for God's people to simply go out of Egypt. God's destiny was always promised land. In my experience, I've found three types of people. The first type of people is Egyptians. They just stay in Egypt as slaves. And for me, not for me, I think the Bible is pretty clear on that. That speaks of the lost. And then there's a second group of people that are those that are those that came out of Egypt. Hallelujah. And just to clarify on how they came out of Egypt, after 300 years of many, many battles and so on, God finally says, okay, enough is enough. You're coming out. I'm going to make a way that Pharaoh, the Egyptians, will let you go. He sent a plague first through three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine plagues. Every time Pharaoh says, okay, 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 you can go. And then every time he retracts and he goes back. And then the tenth plague, God says, this time I'm going to send a plague and they're not going to retract. They're going to let you go. And what he did was, Again, so that everybody's on the same page. He said to them, let each family get for me a lamb. Blameless, spotless lamb. And then you take his blood. The blood of the blameless, spotless lamb. And each family take this blood and they put it on the outside of their doors. And that night, as the blood of the lamb was on the door, the angel of death, passed over wherever the blood of the Lamb was. And wherever the blood of the Lamb was not, the angel of death will come and kill the oldest son. The next morning, Egypt woke up with all their oldest sons and every family being dead. But wherever the blood of the Lamb was, the angel of death could not enter in. And so, and so that festival was kept fe feasting on the same day, every year, for the next 2,000 years, 1,800 years, when on that same, same day, as all of Israel is celebrating that festival, on that same moment, at that same time, they took the Lamb from God, Jesus, and they crucified Him on the very day of Passover. Hallelujah. How, how amazing was it? so that Jesus would be the fulfillment of the Passover lamb. 
And so it was only through this lamb then that the angel of death passed over that we could come out of Egypt into the desert. <laughs> Hallelujah. So I've seen many Egyptians in my life, or at least slaves that was just stuck it out in Egypt until they die. And I'm unfortunate, but the pass over, the, the angel of death is not passing them over. Their destiny is not with God. But then I've seen thousands, of, well, I've seen many that come out of Egypt but they've never gone into the promised land. And I, it's like, it's an interesting, there's a generation, the Moses generation that came out of, out of Egypt, but then there's a Joshua generation. <clears throat> that are those that actually went through the desert into the promised land. And can I say, of 3 million, here's a fun stat for you guys. Out of the 3 million people that started the journey out of Egypt, only two entered into the promised land. So it took 40 years to wipe out a whole generation of 3 million people. So can you imagine traveling through the desert? Now, you, if you have a calculator or you're very clever, just try and work this out. 40 times 365 is the amount of days that they were in the desert. Divide that by 3 million, and you would know by average how many people they buried every day until the whole generation was wiped out. And finally, there was a generation then that could go into the promised land. Here's the thing. I can't avoid any deserts for anybody. The deserts, as sure as you're going to get saved, you're going to go into the desert. I promise you, I promise you, you will go for the desert, right? I, I mean, it's like, it's the one guy that everybody always goes to. What about the guy on the cross next to Jesus? I think even him went for a desert for a minute there. <laughs> he didn't get baptized, but he went for the desert there. He held on for the two minutes, right? You will go for the desert. And it's the way that you go through that desert and the way that you understand the desert that will determine whether you walk in the fullness and that which God has for you. Now, I, 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 uh, um, I'm speaking in a picture language, and I know sometimes in the way that we preach about the Bible, we use a lot of picture and allegory. Uh, and that could uh, at times be, um, uh, okay, I can say, that can be at times people make up their own thoughts and ideas. I do, though, want to say on this one, the New Testament, which is then later written, helps us look back, and it points out specifically to this event as something that God teaches us for us. So, 1 Corinthians 10. I, uh, this is really a hazard here. I might be preaching, and then I might not be anymore. <laughs> I hope there's no one wishing it. <laughs> I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and passed through the sea. 
And all were baptized into Moses, into the cloud, and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock, and followed them, and the rock was Christ. Let me just say this. They referring to the fathers is to those Jews, those Israelites, that were baptized into Moses. They were all together with Moses, which is a picture of Jesus that were baptized in him. They went through the Red Sea. They were under the cloud, which God led them for. They eat the spiritual food, or the food that was there. They were all part there. And then in verse 11, he says this. Now these things, now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. Their journey and what they went through was in some ways a picture and an instruction for us to understand how our journey with God will work when we go through them. On whom the end of the ages has come. Now, in Hebrews 3, from verse 18, it then speaks to us about this promised land. And I'll just quickly want to read to us this. Now, it, it, it again looks back to that journey in the desert. And it, it looks at what happened to them and why they didn't fulfill and why they didn't go to the promised land. And then he pulls it back and he says, that's the same reason why you guys are not walking in fullness and why some of you are stuck in the desert. So, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise still remains of entering his rest, still stands, let us fear lest any one of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Since anyone seems to die in the desert. For good news come to us, just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not unified by faith of those who listen. So, in, uh, there's the, the first five books in the Bible, it's a little uh, Bible school lesson here, the first five books in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so, basically, from Exodus to, what's it now, uh, Numbers, is speaking about the desert, is journey through the desert. Now, the book of Deuteronomy is a very, very interesting book. The book of Deuteronomy works like this. Moses is about to lead his people into the promised land. They're standing right in front of the promised land. Am I, you guys? <laughs> disappearing. Let's, let's, let's block me. All right, all right, all right. I will not stand behind the pulpit. I do feel that's a little bit, I just want to say, it's every preacher's nightmare. That's our. Uh, comfort blankets our pulpit. We're just like, like I, uh, uh, Renzo asked me now, do you want the pulpit? Uh, you're not using it. Yeah, but I feel comfortable behind it. <laughs> just every now and then, I just like when I hide behind it. So I, I've, I've got nowhere to hide here, right? So, um, so, so the book of Deuteronomy then, then is, is, is Moses that stands right in front of the promised land. It's a stone throw away, and he says to them, he says to them, and he reflects. He reflects to them. He says, Guys, you know what? I'm one of the minus two 
minus 3 million, 2 minus 3 million people that will not enter the promised land. But there's a whole new generation, a Joshua generation, that's about to go into the promised land. Before you go into the promised land, as your father, I want to see you guys prosper in that promised land. I just want us to quickly consider all the lessons that God has taught us through this desert. Because if you didn't take heed of those lessons, you're going to get into the promised land and you're going to mess it up. And Moses is like a father crying before the people and says, take heed, remember what God has said, knowing all the while that he will not go into the promised land. And then in Deuteronomy 8, which we'll go now, he explains to them why they had to go through the desert. And so I'm reading from Deuteronomy 8, verse 2. And he says, You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that He might humble you, testing to know what was in your heart, whether you will keep His commandments or not. And he humbled you, and he let you hunger, and he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your food did not swell these 40 years. I just want to... Know then in your heart that as a, man, as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. I'll just make one comment, and I mustn't get into any rabbit holes here, but I'll just say this. One of the signs of the deserts is this. God keeps me. He doesn't necessarily bless me. It's so interesting that through 40 years, they wore the same clothes. For 40 years, they wore the same shoes. Listen here, walking in the desert, no matter what shoes you have, there's none out in the market, right? 40 years, it's gone. 40 years, your clothes are gone. How many of you have ever went for a season that you look back at that month and that time and you go like, I didn't have much, I had nothing, but I don't know how on earth I got through it. I wasn't blessed, but I was kept. And then the trick of the promised land is remember what happened in the promised land. Their clothes got old. Their shoes got wore down. They didn't get food. They got blessed, but they had to learn how to steward. They had to learn what to do with that which God has given them. Right? They had to steward the blessing. But some of us are not there. Some of us are being kept at the moment. (laughs) Right. So, the first thing that I want to say on this, um, on this journey is, you know what it takes for Jesus to take us out of Egypt? He was a Passover lamb. He was the little lamb that died for our sins. You know what is the promised land? promise of who Jesus is. Jesus says, I am your exceedingly great reward. Jesus says, I am your land. Now, can you help me here? What is the biggest? 
a lamb or a land? Very, very good. Very good. But you say it. Stewie. And you guys thought we've got stupid guys with us. This guy are able to tell you that a lamb is smaller than a land. Thank you very much. Right. So, how big is your Jesus? You know, the problem is some people's Jesus is this big, a Passover lamb. He's the guy that gets me to heaven. He's the one that gets me out of hell. But Jesus never wanted to be merely our Passover lamb. He wanted to be our land. He wanted to be all and all. He wanted to be my exceedingly great reward. And let me tell you, everything that he's been doing since the day you got out of Egypt into the desert is to bring you to a place that he will become all and all and everything in your life. And he will, at some stage, remove certain desires. And he will remove, at some time, certain things that is, that is important for us. Until, ultimately, he can become all in all in our life. I just want to tell you that. I'm just, I just want to... I just, I just want to Make sure that you know that. That's what Jesus is doing right now in your life. You don't need a prophecy for that one. I just want to say to you, every person that got saved, Jesus is busy removing everything, everything in your life that is not him so that he will settle, that he will be all in all. Now, I know some of us is happy by just having a Passover lamb. You're just going to die in the desert. He's not settling. He's not negotiating on that. I'm working to have a people that I am the exceedingly great reward. It's interesting. There's another guy that had a promise. Abram, remember him? And remember we said that he was childless and God said to him, you will have a nation. It's like, give me just one, please. And then he get his child. And God said to him, listen, Abram, just to be clear, any of you have promises in God? Don't, don't substitute that for God, please. Oof, don't do that. Don't, don't, don't make your promise sacred. Don't make your promise an idol. But it comes from God. Well, I don't care. It's not God. As he said to, to Abram, Abram, listen here. I know you had a promise from me. Isaac, will you kill that for me, please? It's like, at that time I go, like, but that comes from God. It's my destiny. It's my promise. He says, I don't care. It's not me. Kill it. And so, we, got, we know, for those of you that don't know the story, just as the knife was about to pierce his son, God stopped him and gave him a ram, which is a lamb with a crown on he replaces his own Abram's son with his son so that his son can walk free. It's beautiful, it's beautiful, and all that other thing. But let me say that Abram didn't know the end of the story. When Abram came before God, he said, God, I will even sacrifice my own promise because ultimately even Isaac is not my promise. 
you all might see that he's worthy. And he healed him. You know, I, uh, um, twice in my life, twice in my life, I felt God um, asked me to heal an Isaac, which was a promise that God gave me. The one was either, either, Sammy, let it be known today, my son. I love you, but. (laughs) I had a a spiritual father that helped me tremendously in my walk with God. If it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be where I am today. There was a certain area that he pulled me towards a certain direction the whole time. And uh, I felt God said to me one day, kill the relationship. Kill that Isaac. I'm like, he's like, this is so from you. I can't do that. I'm like, no, 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 no. Kill that one. And you know, this is how I did it. Stop now. There was no stopping. There was no, 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 no. I had to drill that knife through. I had to drill it through. Now what I can say about that relationship though, and five, six, seven years later, God restored that relationship completely. That was fine. But he didn't have to. Could have been dead. So for all of our desert desert walkers. <laughs> Know this, what God is busy doing right now with all of us. Second thing that Jesus did, the second thing that Jesus is doing right now with all of our Jesus walkers currently is the very purpose of the promised land. Firstly, the promised land is, he is the promised land. He is the exceedingly great reward. The second thing, the second thing what the promised land is, is when we just read it, and I know sometimes I, 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 I read it, and I know for those of you that's heard me many times, you go like, yeah, we know where you're going with this. But I'll say this. If I let people know what the promised land is, initially, everybody is quite disappointed. What is the promised land for the person except that God is our exceedingly great reward? We just read it. It's the rest. Not the rest, this the rest, this... We, uh, we uh, sometimes when I speak in Afrikaans, people are like, I didn't know there's that person in there. <laughs> I was with Andrew in Russia, and uh, they asked you, what tea do you want? I said, I, I want rooibos. They're like, wait, who's that person? <laughs> okay, I'll go back to the, the English one. <laughs> so... Um, is the rest. And what, 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 is the, what is the point of the rest? The point of the rest is that we have stopped and ceased relying on our own strength, fully come to rely on God's strength. I quickly want to read you guys uh, Hebrews 4, verse 10, 11. Whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his work as God did from his. 
Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that, no ma- so that no one may fall by the same sword of disobedience. So I was, uh, um, I was me and Naka were married one year. I think she was, yeah, she was pregnant with Samuel. And uh, at that stage, we didn't have any, any income. Uh, like we didn't, we, I didn't have a job that provides any income for us. Um, we lived in a house. And uh, I was like, I felt like I was right in ordering my life the way it was. It was a bit of a stretch, but I think like we're doing it right. And so the way that you will corner a guy like me is we live by faith. So my wife, as honest as she is, just sat me down one day and said, listen, how can we say we live by faith, but we don't have food in the house? I thought, like, that's a very good question. How can I say I live by faith, but I, I mean, I have nothing. <laughs> so I went to God. I said, God, my wife has asked me this question. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to answer. Help me here. And so, this is, what, this is what I felt the Lord say to me. And since that time, it has changed everything in the way that I position my life. He said, the sign or the result of whether you are in faith is not how much money you have, but how much you have entered into the rest. Have you come to rest? And so I'm not saying to be ignorant and passive and all those type of things, but my battle in my walk with God is to fight for rest. Now, listen, guys, I can throw a thousand examples here of things that is fighting for our rest. I, just today, I, I was, as I was preparing here, I was like, oh, man, the rest has left me in so many areas. But I... I uh, um, this is, forgive me for using this example here, but I mean, one of the, one of the clear examples that I've seen many times is in how husbands or uh, potential husbands and potential wives find one another in God, right? It's like how to get my wife or how to get my husband and how to in that rest that God will do it. Now, I'll quickly just explain for those of you that haven't heard me how the process works of a man finding a woman. Yes. So basically how it works with us, the man is the hunter. And the girls are those that are getting hunted. They are the, shoot me, shoot me, shoot me. All right. So this is how the hunting process works. Very simple. It's very simple. Usually, the hunter, uh, subtly, all of us subtly, subconscious, give ourselves a mark. When we put ourselves on the market to be a hunter or to be uh, hunted, we give ourselves a little mark. And this mark is fine through maybe our looks. You know, where, where am I? Am I a seven? Am I a six? Four? My, my personality? My ability to have charisma? 
maybe my background, maybe the social status that I have, maybe the money that I have, maybe all of those things, I kind of, in reflection, give myself a mark as the hunter. Then I go hunt. If I'm very confident, I hunt a little bit higher. If I'm not confident at all, I hunt a little bit lower. But most guys hunt in their category. You all laugh, but it's true. I know it. I've been in the game. I've also hunted. I've spoke to many that's hunted before. I give advice on hunting regularly. Now, I just want to say, you know, that things that make up your... I mean, just think as a single. When you're single and you go to a party, remember, these are the... These, are these, these gatherings is the time. It's the, it's the display times, right? It's marketing time, right? And, and you know, it's... Uh, um, your mark can vary from one evening to the next evening, depending on certain things. How many of you have ever been at one of these marketing events? <laughs> you know, you, 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 you try and tell that joke, or you make that comment, and it just didn't work. It just fell to the ground, and you're thinking like, oh, oh man. It's like it takes time to get over it. Listen, a, a zit, a zit is detrimental. A zit can make your mark fall considerably. And so, you know, you either avoid those marketing events, it's like you, it's how you play your cards then, or you find a way to really get it. My point is, you know, all of these things I have seen all of these things I've seen in the way that people would look at their appearance and the way that people look at where that will put them on the market, how they have caused people tremendous strife. Because as simple as a bad hair day drops your mark, as simple as a wrong career choice, a failed mark, a thing that got pushed back a people's mark, it's amazing when there's faith in God. It's amazing when there's a trust that God will bring the right person at the right time. And that it is not a work, a marketing scheme of how well and at, at what time I can present what. Right? And I've seen even in that the difference between someone that's in the rest, and someone that's striving, and how detrimental that is for people. You know, the future, the future is a big thing. It is not a person here that is not concerned about his future. All of you, all of you. And you know, the future is this one thing that none of us knows how the next hour is going to look like. There's insurance companies that are making million and million and billions of dollars and rands because of this thing. No one knows the future. And we can present 
some sort of security for it. I'll pay millions for it. And so much of where your future is going to end up depends on you. Oh, the author and finisher of this world. Imagine I can just give my life over to him. You know, this, I so quick. It doesn't. It doesn't work. It's the wrong example. Look, I just need anything to grab. So, this is my future. This is my destiny. I so often want to trick to take control of it. <laughs> you see my knuckles? It gets white. As soon as I relax it, um, I've, I've got a weirder skin, but uh, it should, uh, the whiteness should go away. I see, I see subtly in certain areas that the enemy just get away to do this. And suddenly that knuckles get white. I speak to somebody and I say, oops, the knuckles has gone white there. The knuckles has gone white there. Oh, the beauty. I, I don't want to, it's not for effect really, but I just the beauty of, the beauty of, there goes my future. <laughs> it, it was, for this moment, a bit of a wrong example. But just the, 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 this, this ability, this ability. And who are those that goes into the promised land of God? Is these. And everything that God is doing. Can I tell you guys? I just want to say this to you. Again, desert goers, desert walkers, all of you. You know what he's busy doing? He's busy doing this in your life. He's busy teaching you. He's busy bringing you to the place that you can trust in him. And so that there will be nothing Nothing from you. Can we fight? I mean, sometimes, you know, sometimes with these things, we speak about peace. We speak about rest. We speak about faith. I've got faith. I've got faith. But if I come close to your life, I see white knuckles. I just close to my life. I see white knuckles. In Jesus' name. <laughs> Can I just say this? Some of us, it's just impossible to get this, to do this. That's why. You want to live a life like this or you want to live a life like this? You want to live a life? You want to live a life in the rest? Can I tell you? For all of us, a large part of this is only going to come through the desert. The only way that God's ever going to bring you here. Is for the, uh, to this, is for the desert. 
I just don't want you guys to be unaware of what he's doing with you in the desert. He's busy doing this. And if we can see his aim, we can apply ourselves to not do the opposite and go, no, no, no. Just give over, man. Just surrender. So that you can do this. I think I'm going to do this message in a part two because I, uh, I've only just begun here. But I'll, 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 I'll save you guys and not uh, have this Sunday uh, preach a desert. <laughs> so, one more thing I'll say. And that's in uh, Hebrews 6, verse 12. Uh, that's a verse that's on there, huh? So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those through faith and patience inherit the promise. You guys see that there's a condition to enter into the promise. We, I, I just said to you guys that, that God is, number one, He's making sure that you, He will be the exceedingly great reward. He will, he will capture you a lot. He wants to be all. And secondly, he's bringing you to a place of full reliance, full faith of him. But see, it's not only faith that's going to get you into the promise. Faith and patience. It's interesting, you know, there has been so many faith movements in the history of the church. I've never heard of a patience movement. The word of faith movement, the word of patience movement. No, they're not there. So I quickly want to tell you guys just a story of, of my life, uh, a part, is I, I, got, I got saved in the 21st of March, 2000. 21st of March. I remember the date, actually. No. Yeah, it's 21st of May, sorry. 11th of March, I got married. 21st of May, I met Jesus. No. <laughs> so, uh, 21st of May, I got saved in 2000. I got saved. And um, I got saved, and soon after I got saved, I had a, felt the call of God in my life. And pretty soon, I could see God moving through me. And, of course, I did all my preparation and was quite ready to go into whatever God wants me to do. And I had a bunch of guys that started this journey with me. And to be honest, in all humility, I was much more gifted than them. <clears throat> I had much more juice on me. I had much more that would qualify me to go into the nations. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was the most humble guy in the club. <laughs> After... After a couple of years, after a couple of years, I was the only one still remaining. Everybody was there. And I, I can't tell you guys how many times I failed to find ways to, to get out and to live my call. And if, if I had a preacher coming into me and say, Lazarus, come forth, I would have let Lazarus has died with me. I mean, like so many years. And I've every strategy that I could, I've settled work. Now, 
in the meanwhile, God was using me. I was in a Bible school. I was leading that Bible school. I equipped guys to, to, to go out. And then it became difficult. Now, not only all my classmates is out, but now everybody that I've taught is already out. It's like the very guys that I've discipled, the very guys that I've brought forth, they're running around in the nations. And here I'm, right? And uh, um, then um, in 2017, Look, it's not like I didn't walk in my call. I definitely walk in something of my call, but it wasn't the ping. It wasn't like that's what it is. In 2017, uh, what happened? Some guys came to me and said, "Listen, I felt like uh, um, maybe Stellenbosch is there's something there. I feel like you should go there, pray about it. It's the, the whole journey, and like, yeah, it's there." And so finally, I came to Stellenbosch, and so I came to Stellenbosch, and I had my first. Sunday here. It's like the shifting. It's into this new place. I wouldn't say it's like promised land, but at least I shift out of that house into the new house that I was in, stepped in. And uh, I, I preached that Sunday. It was awesome. Went back. And then suddenly I thought like, hmm, what is the date today? You know what was the date? It was the 21st of May, 2017. And it was to the day, 17 years after I got saved. Now, God, for me, speaks in numbers. Now, 10 means completion, and 7 means perfection. And what the Lord told me was, you set out your season, and it's completely complete. And it's also perfect. To the day. I must say, then you feel called. It was like, all right, now I feel ready to, to go here. Now, I tell you, one of the biggest enemies of God's call is impatience. And just to get back to you guys on our friend Abram, our father Abram. See, Abram also at some stage just couldn't anymore. This promise is not happening. And he took matters in his own hands. And he took another wife. And his wife presented the wife to him. Like, look, I'm not going to do it. Let her try. And he produced, produced uh, an Ishmael. He produced something that was not God out of impatience. And over time, that which I've, I've learned, probably the biggest enemies of, of the promises of God is impatience. And can I tell you, we don't learn impatience on a crash course. You don't learn patience over a weekend. It took 40 years. I had a lucky 17 that I got away with. I had a friend of mine, a, a guy that, that I, we so laughed at him, you know. He, he, um, it's a guy that I actually discipled. And then he met his wife at 20. And then they got married the next year. And on Facebook, he introduced her like this. I found my one. The one that I've been waited for my whole life. And we're like, you're 20. <laughs> but God is so faithful. He didn't learn the lesson through that. But he's busy learning the lesson and some other stuff right now. But that lesson, you will learn. Faith 
and That's amazing how we are, right? We just, we see God, we trust God, and the next moment, something in us just cannot. (laughs) Come on, guys. Let the white knuckles go. In Jesus' name. Otherwise, we're not going to be a Joshua generation. We're going to be the desert generation. Okay. I'll do another one on... You want to say something? Uh, I want to. I want to pray. Okay. Uh, let's. Let's. Uh, you want to say something? Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Yaki reminds me. Just um, if, maybe let me pray, Yaki, and then and then we'll do it. She stole the moment a little bit here, but uh, joking. All right, guys. Um, just consider your life right now, and uh, um, all of you that are in the desert right now, you know what helps for us in a desert time, if we can acknowledge we're in a desert, that helps, if we're ignorant, that's bad, let's acknowledge that if we are in a desert, all right, I'm going to ask you if you're in a desert, I'm going to actually ask you to stand, so. If you're in the desert right now, just stand. One, two, three. All right. I'm going to ask you guys now, just with me, consider these things. Okay? Jesus. I pray right now that any affection, any affection that is, that is standing in the way for you to be all, that I can give that to you. Jesus, I pray in every area that my knuckles is white. Every area that my knuckles is white. I pray, release my hand, release my control, release my strife, release my working from that. Jesus, I give it to you. Oh, Jesus, it's so difficult to let go. Ah, to give control to you. Father, I pray that as we do, I pray for a rest to settle on all of us. And then, Father, I pray that in this journey of patience, in this journey of patience, Father, that the enemy will not whisper in us to run prematurely. I pray for no Ishmaels to be birthed in our midst because of impatience. Our Lord, we trust you. We trust you. We trust you. Father, I pray for any bit of Lazarus that we have in some ways settled with the desert and in some ways become comfortable with the desert and that's our portion, the desert. I come in that lie, against that lie. Father, we want to speak as we spoke in the beginning and say, Lazarus, come forth. 
We're not going to settle for that which is less than what you have for us on the earth, Lord Jesus. Lazarus, come forth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, guys, so I um, just want to tag on a quick thought there. The, uh, in Romans 15 verse 4, it says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and, and through in the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. So it's through the endurance and the encouragement of the Scripture we would have hope. And yeah, as Kala was taking us through the Old Testament, uh, there are so many things we learn about God's nature and character in, in the Bible, in the Old Testament specifically. And let us dig into those things so that we can actually see what our God is like and that he carries us through, he, he sustains us. Um, and then with the patience, I just thought to quickly share a story there. We were in a restaurant yesterday and we ordered food and uh, we ordered for Luca first so that he can get his food quite quickly, but it took forever to, to finally come. And he would constantly ask me, when is my food coming? When is my food coming? And I, and I was trying to explain the concept of patience to him, to a three-year-old. It's not very helpful. Um, <laughs> And uh, at, at some point, I was just saying, listen, it, it, it's going to come when it's going to come. And that's often the same thing with our desert seasons. Like, we, we have to just endure with patience. Like, we don't know when the end is going to be there, but it will end. There, there will be a time when then suddenly God will change things. So, yeah, just with that hope that we have, actually, seeing that it's not a forever season. It is a season that God takes us through to form something in us, that we can again have hope and have our hope fixed in him. So, yeah, I just wanted to encourage you with those things. But, uh, yeah, please join us afterwards for, 